What a, look at this! Oh, you're kidding me. Sebastian Vettel has been given a five-second time penalty for an unsafe re-entry and forcing oh, another driver what? off the track. As you may have guessed, your friendly neighborhood Andre Harrison is sadly not here for episode 197 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm RJ O'Connell. Um, I'm joined as as always by our by our New York bureau, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hello, and I'd just like to let the uh, the great police po- police constables in the in London know that. I do not know about the whereabouts of Andre Harrison. Any ill-advised trip to the FIA headquarters in Paris, I do not know about. So please don't contact me. Um, Guys, I'm pretty sure I fucked up. <laughs> wait, wait, hold hold up, hold up. Um, we have our Boston Bureau reporting. That's right, um, helping us uh, fill the gaps here is our friend, Poorly. longtime supporter of the podcast, one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to the technical side of the sport, and also one of the angriest members of our Discord, Cameron Buckley is here making his Motorsport 101 co-hosting debut. Noted man who cried when Simon Paginode won the Indianapolis 500. Hello, Cam. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. Um, Cam, where can the good folks find what you do? Um, for the most part, I simply retweet very savage tweets. At uh, my Twitter handle, CBCKLY917. No space. Our handles, of course, have remained unchanged at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at Harrison101HD for Dre, um, who will not be a part of the show uh, this weekend, um, probably for our own benefits. Oh boy. We had a doozy of a Canadian Grand Prix. It was shaping up to be an all-time classic. Then lap 48 happened. Then everything and else all happened. All hell went fucking loose. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about we'll talk at length about that. We'll also talk about some other things you may have missed uh, from that. We have Indy cars at Texas as Joseph Newgarden picks up his third win of the season, and Alex Rossi pulls off one of the greatest saves of the year. 
in any series for that matter. Yep. I'll be talking briefly about World Superbikes, the W Series, DTM, new Formula One regs, and of course, a preview of this weekend's Grand Prix d'Endurance, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and that's part of the reason why we have Cam here. We also have on the set list, uh, give Cam the floor for six minutes and just see what happens. <laughs> see what uh, happens. We'll get to, we'll, we'll figure it out at some point. Um, but again, uh, we've got, we've introduced ourselves. Of course, you can find all of our stuff at motorsport101.com. Uh, if you wish to back the show financially, we're at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, where for just $5 a month, you get early access to every show we have ever recorded and will ever record until the end of time. And of course, for $10 a month, you can get into the supporter section of our Discord channel and listen in live as many of you are doing so right now, including... Jesus Christ, there's a lot of people here from from Indonesia listening at about 2.30 in the morning. Rezzy is here. James is here. Jason is here. Brian is here. Uh, it looks like Steven, Vakesh, as well as Bike Live co-host alum Louis Sudeby and even my own boyfriend Vincent are listening into the podcast as we speak. No pressure at all whatsoever, right, guys? <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, great time for me to make my first appearance. Uh, well, let's rip the band-aid off. After this brief mystical interlude, we'll talk about the Canadian Grand Prix. Now, we know what we're going to lead off with. But I'd first like to welcome in, uh, from his video that was posted Monday on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, your friendly neighborhood Andre Harrison had some words about what happened between Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, and that incident and subsequent time penalty. For those who've been living under a rock for the last 24 hours, the Canadian Grand Prix was yesterday. It was decided by a controversial incident where Sebastian Vettel leaves the track at turn, f I guess, three. Um, he cuts to chicane um, between turns three and four and re and the stewards deemed he re-entered the track dangerously. He comes back onto the track having obviously cut the chicane because he lost the rear end going into turn three. He comes across the grass and re-enters the track immediately. Hamilton is coming through turn... Um, turn three and four directly behind him. He has to slow down to avoid contact. Um, Vettel maintains the position. He stays in front through turns three and four, and the race continues as normal. Um, about five or six laps later, the FIA stewards deemed that Sebastian had re-entered. He'd left the track and re-entered dangerously. He was given a five-second time penalty, and as a result, it cost him the win as the penalty would drop him to second behind Lewis Hamilton, who won the race. Um, as you can imagine, this blew up over the internet. Um, a lot of angry reactions, a lot of I'm done, a lot of this is a bullshit penalty, a lot of this is totally the right thing to do, etc, etc, etc. There's been a firestorm on F1 Twitter. This has been the biggest flashpoint I think I've seen in F1 since Hamilton and Vettel clashed in Baku. 
um, a couple of years ago, and we all know how that ended. You know, a um, it, it got heated very quickly. So, where do I sit on all this, first and foremost? I mean, I didn't want to make an immediate instant reaction video, because I think those are cliché. I think those are often overdone, and I often think a lot of them are purposely designed to have hot takes. And a lot of these sorts sorts of videos are, you know, they have more emotion put into them. And I don't like that. I've done it before. I've made videos in a rush. I've written shit in a rush, and I've regretted it. Like that time I talked about a certain YouTube personality's hairline. It happens. Um... So, I've given a lot of time for my thoughts to stew and fester over the last 24 hours. I've slept on it, and, well, here's the thing. By the letter of the law and the sporting code, Sebastian Vettel did break a rule. He did re-enter the track dangerously. There's no doubt about that. Like, by the firm letter of the law, he broke the rules. There's no doubt about that. Okay, he did re-enter the track dangerously. Sebastian, uh, in, while driving the car, made a very valid point. There's not much you can do in that situation. Like, we forget, Montreal is a street circuit. It is a public road, in some cases. Like, there is a wall there, right next, there's a barrier right next to the curb. It's not a conventional track. Like, yes, Hamilton had to take evasive action to avoid an accident. The problem is, if Sebastian does it any different, he probably spins. There is no grip on grass. He probably loses control of his car under any other circumstance, and he and Lewis hit each other, and then, hey, Charles Leclerc gets his first Grand Prix win. Justice for Bahrain, etc. Um, there wasn't much Seb could have done in that scenario. There, I don't think there is any way he could have handled the mistake that he made any better. Um, I think this boils down more to two elements. The spirit of the rules, which is, which is what I think we as fans are tapping into a lot on this one. Unfortunately, this is not cricket. <laughs> like, like That is the one sport where I hear that phrase uttered the most, the spirit of the rules. And, you know, for the greater good, you wave a penalty off for the sake of sport and integrity. And... We've seen it, like, when a batsman leaves his crease and then he's been turned around and stumped. It happened to Joss Butler in the IPL earlier this year, and it was a bit nasty. I remember, I remember it happened to India's cricket team as well, and Sachin Tendulkar waved it off um, because he didn't want to piss anybody off, you know, spirit of the game, right? Because cricket's got enough wiggle room for things like that. Formula One doesn't. The bigger issue for me here is that this is a penalty that's that's inconsistently enforced. Now, this is the problem with with the internet and especially F1 side of the internet. We pull up half a dozen examples, you know, the moment um, something like this happens because they want an easy yardstick to compare it to. That's not an that's not a silly way of looking at it. If you're a fan of a sport, you want the rules to be consistently enforced. No argument there. They pulled up. Raikkonen when he crossed the pit line in Baku a couple of years ago and he was given a time penalty. The problem is that was mentioned in the drivers meeting that you can't do that that year. And they were, the drivers were all warned about it. Raikkonen did it anyway. And then, you know, 
was flagged up in the race and people acted surprised. And it's been brought up a couple of times over since. The biggest example I've seen on Twitter was Lewis Hamilton when he cut the pit lane in the final corner to re-enter the track um, during Germany last year. And that was deemed to have not been dangerous because it was slow. There was no other cars really around him at the time. Um, This is the problem with things like this is that the context and the nuance is often taken away when you pull up other incidents that are similar. The, I think the closest one I saw was when Daniel Ricciardo got chopped by Hamilton at Monaco a couple of years ago. And in that instance, um, Ricciardo said himself after the race he thought it was dangerous and he wasn't given a penalty either, Hamilton, for it. But in this case, Sebastian was. I don't know if this is more to do with a clampdown on the rule in general because it happened to Mick Schumacher in Formula 2 um, in Catalonia where he went outside the track bollards and re-entered the track dangerously. He didn't go through the orange cone that Catalonia had laid out at turns 1 and 2 and he was given a 5 second time penalty. So I don't know whether it's been a directive from the FIA to crack down on this rule harder. I don't know. Like I said, letter of the law, Sebastian broke the rules. There is no argument about that. Um, For the good of the sport, should they have waved this off? Maybe? I mean, look, we're fans. We're biased. We're fanatics. We love this. We will beat on every cliche in the book, you know? We want it to be settled on track. And of course we do. We're fans. We don't ever want to see a race decided in the stewards' office. Um, And like I said, when a sport's got revolving stewards that change every single race, um, and everyone's got different opinions and interpretations on the rules, you're going to get days like this where inconsistencies creep up. And I think that's where people should be channeling their frustration more than anything else. Um, I'll say as a side note, I don't think Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel could have handled that any better as drivers. I I know a lot of people have pointed this out, but I personally loved the, the fire and the sass that Sebastian showed after the race, where it was like soldier podium ceremony. And I, I don't blame him. I would have been apocalyptically mad if I had been in his shoes. And... I'm glad he was able to be convinced to go back on the podium. Uh, I thought him switching the board signs between Hamilton and um, between his own car and Hamilton's um, after the race in Park Ferme was hilarious. That's the sort of drama we live for as fans. You know, like, (sighs) I loved it. And I know Hamilton was a bit sheepish and a bit awkward. I know Hamilton is a competitor. And I have enough respect for Lewis as a person where I think he, I can say with confidence he didn't want to win that way. He said it himself he didn't want to win that way. And of course, he's the direct benefactor. And I love the classy touch that he tried to put Seb on the winner's step with him. I thought that was a great touch. Those two clearly have a lot of respect for each other as drivers and as people, which is great to see. I've loved the boisterous Hamilton Vettel banter we've had all weekend in Canada. It's refreshing. It goes to show you just how much more enjoyable the sport can be when those two are on a similar footing. Um, anyone that was saying that Sebastian is done or should be retiring, I think, needs to rewatch this race because Vettel is far from finished. He drove a fantastic race. He had a fantastic weekend and his, his best in over a year, I would say. So... I'm really glad that Seb said on the podium after the race, because it was clear Brundle was looking for a soundbite 
in the post-race interviews like any good journalist would. You know, they're, they're not in it to be integral. They're there to ask the hard questions and they're there to get sound bites and get clicks. That's their job. I can respect that to a degree. Um, but Seb had to lean over Brundle's shoulder and say, look, don't boo Hamilton just because he benefited off this. Hamilton didn't do anything wrong. He drove a fantastic race. Um, what you should, He said what you should be booing is you should be booing these silly decisions. And I understand this. I think there is enough wiggle room to wave things like this off sometimes. And my personal opinion in my heart of hearts is this this should not have been penalised. Let the driver settle this on track. Um, because I think you could be opening Pandora's box here for a lot of other similar incidents that could also get time penalties left and right. Like, I don't want to beat the... This is racing drum because I don't like that mentality either when it comes to Formula 1. And I don't like it when people dig into the past like Sebastian did in his in his official press conference afterwards and he was talking about this isn't the sport I fell in love with growing up. We always glamorise the past. That's what we as fans do. We glamorise the past, we nitpick the present and we get excited about the future because we want things to change, especially in a run of dominance that we're going through for Mercedes right now. But this is going to piss some people off and this may... Look, my own girlfriend said to me she was already on the on the brink of being done with Formula 1 this year. She probably is now done at the end of the season because she's just tired of it and this was like the final cherry on the top of the of the of like the the dog turd of cake that was in front of F1 at the moment and it's the sports are not in a good place. I think that's fair to say that we're struggling at the moment. Like the product is not enjoyable. We have one dominant team that it doesn't really feel like there's a title race going on at the moment. Sebastian's still, I think, nearly 60 points off the top at the moment, which isn't ideal either. Um, we're looking for something to get excited about, but that's the beauty and the cruelty of this of incidents like this. It's cruel that a race was decided off track. It was cruel that it was a fantastic lead fight for the win between Vettel and Hamilton, a game of chess, um, which I've always loved. I remember Cota 2012 when they were first going at it. Um, that was the first real Hamilton-Vettel pure pace dogfight where those two were clearly a country mile faster than anybody else that day. And, and I loved that. I, I I liked those little time trial battles every once in a while. They're, they're, this happened before, I can't I think 2016 was like that as well, um, where the, those two were a mile faster than anybody else, and it was always going to be between those two guys to decide who was going to win it. Um, and, you know, um, that's how it can be sometimes. I, 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 enjoy, I, enjoy, I enjoy that spectacle. And we were robbed of a great finish, and that that always sucks I don't envy the stewards because again letter of the law it could have very easily been flagged up but on the other side of the coin this is the most drama that Formula 1 has had in probably two years and on the other side of that coin from a entertainment standpoint look how many people are talking about the sport right now Sebastian Vettel was the number one trending topic worldwide on Twitter after the race had finished it was brilliant. It was great TV. I know it sounds cliche, and I hate the fact that I'm saying this because the W Series used this to advertise themselves in their first broadcast. There really is no such better reality TV than live sport. And, like, if you can't see the entertainment side in that, then I don't know what to tell you as an F1 fan because 
from what I've noticed as being an F1 fan of nearly 20 years is that the human side of the sport will always captivate more than anything to do with the cars and the engineering. The engineering and the cars are fantastic, they're spectacular, they do they do brilliant work and it's fantastic to see it on the world stage. But we as human people will always be more entrenched in human stories. Sebastian switching the podium signs around and effectively hitting the FIA with a steel chair was brilliant TV. It was like we were watching a wrestling storyline unfold. It was, it was a level of petty that I think a lot of us have in ourselves as humans that we can relate to. I didn't like how Jake Humphrey put this shit joke out there saying, oh, my, uh, this is this is like how my daughter acts when she doesn't get her own way and she's six, and then he called it a joke afterwards. He didn't like the reaction he was getting. These sorts of things captivate us as people, and that should never change. And, you know... I don't think it's going to be as damaging to the sport as people like to make out. I think 90% of the people on Twitter that got mad about this will be watching Paul Ricard in two weeks' time. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I, I wouldn't read into that on that sort of level. And, you know, that's just how Formula One is. And it's led to videos like this, hot takes like this, you know, clicks everywhere. Bad for the sport? Maybe. I, I think a lot of people just say things in the heat at the moment because they're pissed off. I think they'll be tuning in for France in two weeks' time. So that was Dre's takeaway from it. Again, just to, just to recap where we're at right now, uh, Sebastian Vettel has controlled this race for pretty much the entire time. On lap 48, he overshoots his breaking point going into the right-left chicane. I believe that's uh, as turns four and five skids through the grass on the inside, cuts back across the track, right across of Lewis Hamilton, who is trying to line up a pass around the outside. Uh, for rejoining the track in an unsafe batter, Sebastian Vettel received a five-second time penalty that was applied post-race, thus demoting him down to second and promoting Lewis Hamilton to his fifth victory of the season. Yes, I can't. And, <sighs> and uh, for, for those keeping track, this also makes Mercedes still perfect on the year. Okay. Dear God. So we've had 24 hours to kind of calm down, process this. Are we feeling uh, much calmer about what's gone on? This last day or so? No, no, no right. No, well, let's let's tackle it. <laughs> oh Lord. Um, safe to say that the post-race reactions and discussions were a little bit divisive. Oh goodness, yes. So after the penalty was was uh, was meted out, and Sebastian Vettel was rightly furious on the radio for all of this. Um, he parks his car at the entrance end of pit lane, doesn't go to the park for May with the top three cars, and he storms back to his motorhome. He does not want to be part of this. His publicist has to basically beg him to get out there for the podium ceremonies, lest he risk even further punishment than just the five-second time penalty. So what we were thinking was, was Vettel going to be on the podium at all? Was it just going to be Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc up there on the top two steps with a big gaping hole in the in the left side of the podium where Sebastian Vettel should be standing? 
only for Vettel to come back through, take a shortcut for Mercedes, which we all thought, oh, Jesus, is he going to go look for Toto? I think think, uh, Karun Chandok said, is he bringing a shotgun in there? (laughs) So, yes, he comes back out to the roar of the crowd. And you have to consider that about this time six years ago, at the peak of his powers with a... with a Red Bull, Sebastian Vettel was not getting that kind of warm reception from the Canadian crowd. Who? No, in fact, his mistake from the lead was getting that reception. Yes, and that would have been two years prior. And uh, mm. yeah, um, safe to say the crowd knows what's up. They're not happy at how that finish went down. They cheer Vettel as he comes back out. And then, of course, he does the podium swap, puts his number one where his car should be, swaps it out with the Hamilton with the podium to put Hamilton's car at number two, which... He hit the FIA with a steel chair. (laughs) God, King. (laughs) Oh, and, uh, and, you know, what was interesting out of all that is that Lewis and Seb handled this a lot better than any one of us fans or any one of us media types would have. Yeah, I think once they were together, I don't think Vettel had any real ire towards uh, Hamilton. Because at the end of the day, Hamilton is uh, fighting for the win just as well. He put together a great uh, great race in second. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's Lewis's job to pressure Vettel into a mistake. He did so. Mm-hmm. The outcome was uh, perhaps not what anyone really wanted. But uh, Vettel and Lewis have enough respect between each other to not uh, begrudge one another when something like this happens. Right. There is a rivalry, but it's respectful. I think uh, the media, and we've talked about this many Many times in previous episodes, which you can listen to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, that most of this rivalry is always played up. There is always a great mutual respect between them, even after they kind of get heated with each other and snippy with each other. I mean, poor Charles Leclerc had to feel like his uh, his divorced parents were fighting in front of him. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, mean, King, I mean, King, what did you, what did you make of... All of this, the penalty, the incident, everything that's come out since. Oh, God, I would say penalty. Oh, I would say Vettel was had some degree of blame to what to what occurred, but it was certainly not worth a five second time penalty, like maybe a reprimand at most. But I, I, I can't see it being being worth five seconds on track. I mean, to the letter of the law, as was explained, uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, cut the track and rejoined in an unsafe manner. Um, but in context, not worth the five second penalty. And you know, as uh, as Wilbotson pointed out, let's say Lewis Hamilton does make that outside the pass. Would he have been penalized for running all four wheels off? Or what if, you know, they just both wrecked? And we could end up in a much worse situation. Be awkward. Yeah, what what Vettel did, um, what Vettel did, he was not in control of his car. He was on opposite lock multiple times trying to regain control. Yeah, he wasn't he trying to steer into Hamilton's car. I think the most his wheel was turned right 
um, was when the wheel was basically straight and still tilted over to the left. Yes. And his rejoin, which, as you said, to the letter of the law, was unsafe. But his rejoin was him trying to correct the car to not put it in the wall and probably take out Lewis, who was more or less in a wedge between his car and the wall. Yeah. And I can go back to many incidents in recent times where the FIA, in the name of quote-unquote letting the drivers race, has bent the letter of the law. Yeah! Vax Verstappen Verstappen moving in the breaking zones, anybody? (laughs) Right. There were many, many an incidents that had come up uh, in discussion of how the stewarding has been inconsistent. They haven't gotten it right to the letter of the law. I mean, goodness knows, Lewis Hamilton knows what it's like to be the first car to cross the line and have a win taken away off a ticky-tack penalty. I'm sure he can empathize. Yes. And uh, many comparisons have been made to uh, the most recent instance of this, where in Japan last year, Kimi and Verstappen got into it when Verstappen rejoined and kind of lazily drove back into Kimi's car. I don't think that's really comparable because Max Verstappen was well in control of his car. He just kind of lazily rejoined the racing line. Man, that's uh, it's a shame because, again, it really spoiled what was shaping up to be a a classic race. We had a straight-up 50-lap fight. That was what was on tap. For these last 50 laps between Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton, and if not for that penalty, we would have gotten it. And we would have gotten that close finish at the end that we would have uh, we would have been hoping and praying for. And you know what hurts worse is that, yeah, yeah, Vettel did break the rules, but ultimately it just means that Mercedes wins another race at a time where probably people are getting sick and tired of Mercedes winning. Yeah, and... This is one of, I think, very few tracks where Ferrari's car, which we know is inherently crippled this year from a number of factors, has enough of a margin in a straight line to truly challenge Mercedes, who are just broken quick in the corners. Mm -hmm. There's not going to be many chances left like this. No, I'm looking at the next race at uh, Circuit Paul Ricard, and I'm thinking that's going to be a track where Mercedes and Red Bull have a definitive advantage. You might have to get to Austria or Silverstone to find another place where Ferrari are even in a ballpark unless they change something drastically beside the whole management structure of the team. Don't put that past them. (sighs) You know, it's funny because if not for this incident, the entire controversy would have been the race, would have been Charles Leclerc being put on the overcut and uh, missing out on a potential second place finish. Man, yeah. And like, even with the overcut, there was still an opportunity to pit him well into the race and still have him come out in front of Lewis Hamilton. Like, if, if Ferrari had pitted him maybe five, maybe six or seven laps earlier, there would have been enough of a margin for him to come out in front of Lewis, but they wanted to run him as long as possible. Yeah. For instance, they pit him seven laps later than Sebastian Vettel and five laps later than Lewis Hamilton. And as this is going on, everybody is chirping like, oh boy, well, I guess Ferrari only had enough mental resource here to strategize one car to perfection, the other car not so much. And all and out of all this, Charles Leclerc almost got second after the five-second time penalty was applied to Vettel's car. 
<laughs> yeah, he had storming pace at the end of the race. Uh, although I think part of that is down to uh, Vettel was needing to save fuel, and Lewis knew that he didn't have to go for a move to get the win. Right. And also, you know, I agree that that's a bad strategy for Charles, but he was not going to be in position from the very start of the race to where he could challenge Sebastian Vettel for the win. Yeah, I, I kind of I, felt yeah, like Vettel, pe- I kind of yeah. felt like, well, they're just screwing it to screw Leclerc out of the win that he was never in position to win to to be in the victory position to begin with. Yeah, I I don't think There's Leclerc some... could have won, but he certainly could have finished second. Yeah, yeah. No, I I entirely agree with that. That's that's at least three points left on the table there. Uh, and again, Leclerc's time will come. Probably wasn't going to be that day, and well. Sadly, it may not come for a little while longer if uh, if the French Grand Prix is an indicator of how of how things might go at Ferrari for the rest of the season. Um, boy, that was uh, that was an awkward. Yeah, for the majority of the race, he was a touch slower than Lewis and Seb. Um, but yes, Ferrari Ferrari strategy the uh, it only works on one car nowadays, and even still, it almost worked out fine for them until you know it didn't. Yeah. There's no winning. Speaking of things that are not going to be winning, you know, in this uh in this hyper reactionary culture of sports hot takes, um, uh, can I just say that Ocon Watch is in is in strong effect now? Because Valtteri <laughs> Botas did not have a good race. In fact, he spent most of it held behind Daniel Ricardo's Red Bull, which was doing excuse me, Daniel Ricardo's Renault. I know, I know. It's it's just like Bike Live. You just you kind you you kind of expect one thing, and it co- rolls off the tongue just perfectly, and then you just realize, oh yeah, that's not a thing anymore. Valtteri Bottas had to work to get back to fourth place, and he was fifty seconds adrift of Lewis Hamilton by the time the race finished. Is this where the shoe was starting to drop for Valtteri in the second half of the season? Oh, I Such hope a good not. Start. I hope not. <laughs> It's it's worrying. He had a very, very poor uh, Q3. Amazing that he didn't put it in the wall because he had a very scary spin. And his second lap was just very scruffy. Yeah, and qualified off the pace. And he just didn't look like... He didn't look like Bottas 2.0. He looked like Bottas 0.1. He looked... He looked like the Botas at the end of last year, where we were all speculating, should this dude even still be employed at Mercedes? I mean, granted, he does get 13 points because he got the fastest lap bonus because he was so far adrift of the leaders that they could afford to let him shoot for the fastest lap. And he still got ahead of Mats Verstappen near the end, who finished in fifth. Um, I'm n- he started the race on the hard tires because uh, he was caught up in a Kevin Magnussen crashing the fuck out of uh, Q2 and was in the uh, in the drop zone by the time the red flag was brought out. So it allowed him to start the race on the hard tires. He goes all the way out till lap 48 before pitting, uh, but can do no better than fifth. Yeah, Verstappen had a, um, a pretty good recovery drive. Um, that Magnuson thing becomes very important later. <laughs> King, but uh, <laughs> King, let's uh, let's talk about your boys. <laughs> oh Lord! So they qualified, they qualified fourth and seventh. They finished sixth and seventh. 
Things are on the up and up for Renault Sport F1 team. One two for F one point five. Woo! A, a, a peasants one two. They did it. They did it. Uh, man, it's it, it progress. Progress was promised, and progress came. Uh, hopefully, it'll stick on through for the next race in France when apparently it's supposed to be a new raft of upgrades coming for France because obviously it's their home race. A lot of Renault executives are going to be at the race. They want to impress. Hopefully the upgrades are upgrades. Oh, Lord. And not just- yeah, they brought a um, they brought a brand new rear wing for this race and it seemed to do wonders. So... Ricardo finishing sixth. I believe that is his best result of 2019. Um, though he also had some pretty bold uh, defensive moves on Valtteri Bottas, as I, I, I would say that some Verstappen influence has gotten into him a little bit. Yes, he Just was. A little. He was driving like a man possessed to keep that Mercedes behind him. And to be fair, it was working out. But ultimately, Bottas did have more. Horses in the back, horses in the back to uh, to power pass Ricardo uh, for position by then. But yeah, sixth and seventh, that's not bad considering we were talking about Renault as potentially one of the biggest underachievers of the mid grid uh, so far this year. And again, that's uh, that's about where they should be right now. Yes, though there is a bit of discontent within the paddock over a call near the end of the race. Oh, tell me more. Yes. Because after Hulkenberg made his pit stop, he seemed to have more pace than Danny Ricardo. But they didn't allow Hulkenberg to, to pass Ricardo. They ordered Ricardo to stay. I mean, they ordered uh, Hulkenberg to stay behind Ricardo for the duration of the race. Is this how you treat a former Lamar overall winner? <laughs> Is this how you treat the man who's apparently going to take Pierre Gasly's pace in the Red Bull? Oh, God, we should probably mention that. So, oh, goodness, I, yes. Let me just uh, say uh, this quote from Cyril Bittable about the, the team order situation, then we'll move on, where he said, quote, Daniel was on slightly older tires than Nico, also because he had uh, had a go at a couple fast cars. Clearly, his tires were not in such good shape. Probably Nico would have had the pace to overtake him, but frankly, we said we need that result. <laughs> I don't like. There are a lot of adverbs in that statement. I just realized. Yeah, I don't like to have to do that, but it's not the style of team. That's something that that we don't intend to do on many occasions. End quote. An understandable call, if not a popular one, because it would have been a really iffy situation if they ended up, you know, one or both cars, you know, you know, being affected by contact. Yeah. Um, also, also there was a rumor that popped over the last week that uh, Red Bull were looking at Nico Hulkenberg to replace Pierre Gasly, which both Helmut Marco and Pierre Gasly had debunked uh, with some pretty choice words about the rumor that had popped up. <laughs> that said, Pierre Gasly finishing eighth um, prop behind both Renaults probably doesn't do much to dispel the rumors. Yeah, it doesn't. Oh, and also boy. behind his own teammate who started outside the top 10. <laughs> I believe the quote from uh, from Pierre, for me, bullshit like this is just bad journalism. I don't want to comment any more about this. Oh, oh boy. Pa- Pierre was looking so good in qualifying, too. Like, what happened? Part of me wants to believe 
that it's that it's definitely true now that Helmut Marcos denied it. <laughs> oh, I don't know because at the same time, like, do you really think Red Bull are gonna go out of their way to hire uh, to bring up a thirty three a guy who's gonna turn thirty three next year who still doesn't have an F one podium? Yep. Because he's not a long ther- he's not a long term threat to Max Verstappen, and you can kick him out after four years and replace him with the Tarasso driver. No, the Toro Rosso driver has to be fired at least twice before being brought up to the team. <laughs> now, um, Cam, when you think of Canadian sporting achievement, what comes to mind? Mm. You know, with the events recently happening, I would say I would say the Raptors potentially taking down Golden State. All right. Lance Stroll, he put his name in the hat. I was uh I was gonna suggest uh, Jose Bautista's bat flip home run in the 2015 ALDS. I was gonna suggest Joe Carter's walk off against the Phillies. I was gonna suggest any time that a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup, which was you know back before the World Wide Web was a thing. <laughs> I was um, I was gonna suggest I was gonna time. suggest Ben Ben Johnson winning the 100 meter dash at the 1988 Summer Olympic Games. Not this time. It never happened. <laughs> this, this one, one was invented by a writer. <laughs> this one was invented by a pharmacy. <laughs> I say all Very this good. to say that Lance Stroll, having been knocked out in Q1 for what I believe was the ninth consecutive time, in his, and going into his home Grand Prix, you're thinking, oh, no, man. We have to preempt this. Yeah. In FP3... His Mercedes, his brand new Mercedes Spec 2 engine, well, something very important decided to vacate its home inside that engine. Oh, what was that? Um, something in the bottom end. Oof, that's not good. Which, uh, you know, just spell out Kerbalvelenlager right here. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, but luckily Montreal wasn't a power track, so we wouldn't have been at a disadvantage, right? Right? Mmm... Yeah, Stroll um, qualifies 17th. He's out of Q1 again. But as I tweeted within the first lap of the race, there's three certainties. Death, Tatsis, Stroll plus three after lap one. He gets another brilliant start. And on his merit, he claws his way to drive to ninth place in the racing point on an old spec engine. It did so pretty damn convincingly. Like, that was, that was for me, in a, in a race where, you know, Vettel doesn't get the time penalty and Ferrari doesn't put Leclerc on an overcut. That would have been the story on the race. Yeah, it would have. Yeah, he, he had an excellent race, pulled off a few great passes against some very good drivers. Yeah. But he's bad because he's a pay driver, right, everybody? <laughs> Lance Stroll is just a mediocre pay driver. Okay, in fairness, there have been times where he has not looked impressive, but this is easily some of the best he's looked all season. And Danny Kvyat had another great race. He rounded off your points finishers in temp and had some pretty slick overtaking maneuvers of he his put, own. He put foots in Carlos Sainz into T1. That oh. was a brilliant, he was a brilliant pass. Yeah, and that proved to be important as that was the last point position and Car- McLaren came away with zero pointos because... <laughs> Oh, God. King, do you ever just have brakes so hot they break your entire rear suspension? Man. Oh, God. This is where you just queue up the the hit Nelly track getting hot in here. 
Oh, man. Lance Stroll, uh, excuse me. I was about to say Lewis in the chat <laughs> mentioning mentioning three-time darts champion John Park. That's another great Canadian sporting achievement. But yes, Lando Norris uh, retires on lap nine because not because he had tagged the wall of champions, uh, but because his brakes were so hot that they caused his rear suspension to collapse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the initial call was uh, Sky thinking he had hit the wall. On replay, his rear, his right rear suspension simply melted. Yeah, just melted. Oh my goodness! Yeah, Canada being punishing on brakes. Um, I didn't know it was going to be that punishing. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't know we we're going to start melting half axles. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be something for Lando to meme about later in the week. If you can't stand the heat, get out. <laughs> also, speaking of total meltdowns, uh, let's talk about Haas F1 team, whose people deserve better, except for their main sponsor. Of course, couldn't show their main logo that was... Uh, Lovingly lifted from a Google image search from some other company that they will be happy to dunk on on the day of which that, we're recording. That's a parasite's mentality, RJ. <laughs> Listen, when William Story logs in with uh, having had his three ounces of bourbon, and yes, I do use the Janae from Mahalo's definition of three ounces of bourbon in the morning, he is going to log on, and buddy, he will not log off. <laughs> but sometimes you wish he just would. <laughs> Kevin Magnuson, as we mentioned, crashed in Q2, uh, so that put him at the back of the grid. He only finished 17th, second to last of the runners, sandwiched between the two Williams. Um, and he had a in-race radio meltdown that got so dire, he described it as the worst experience that he's had ever driving a Formula One car. Yes, even worse than the time he broke down in his only start in Australia in 2015. It was so bad. Worse than going in backwards yeah, at it, full speed at the top of Eau Rouge and Radion. It was so bad, Gunther Steiner had to basically tell him, yes, we know. That's enough, Kevin. Back <laughs> it down. He'll be sleeping with the stag's head. I love Gunther Steiner. I, I honestly do. I used to think he was kind of arrogant, but after Drive to Survive, um, I, I, I appreciate Gunther Steiner a lot. Nicky Lauda is no longer with us, but I think a lot of his spirit is now in Gunther now. Bless. We miss you, Nikki. <sighs> we do. Uh, and Romain Grosjean didn't fare much better in 14th. Um, yeah, and as mentioned, Robert Kubica was the last of the qualifi- classified runners on his return to the track that he won his only race at. You know, I remarked, and I'll keep remarking, that if we lived in a just society, Robert Kubica wouldn't have to go through years of painful rehabilitation, several career changes, and months of in-season testing just have to come back with the worst team and be the last classified finisher every race and be the first car lap down. But we don't live in a just society. No, and in fact, Williams made some pretty significant front suspension changes this weekend, and it improved the car quite a bit. And they're still that far off. (sighs) The future is not bright in Grove. Mm-hmm. But hey, Nicholas Latifi got some FP1 laps, so hooray, it can be somebody else's problem if they don't turn things around in 2020. 
So let's go into the championship standings. Uh, with his fifth win of the season, Lewis Hamilton now has 162 points and a 29-point lead over Valtteri Bottas um, at 133 points. Assuming that this result does not get appealed and the result does not get overturned, Sebastian Vettel is third at an even 100 points. Mats Verstappen doing it for Dale at 88 points and fourth. Charles Leclerc in fifth at 72 points. And Pierre Gasly seemingly in no man's land and sits at 36 points. Your leader in Formula 1.5 is Carlos Sainz. Despite not scoring, he is uh, still in seventh on 18 points. But look, who's right behind him in eighth. It's Daniel Ricciardo with 16 points. And his Renault, Kevin Magnussen in ninth on 14 points. Two drivers tied at 13th. Sergio Perez in 10th. Kimi Raikkonen in 11th. It's another non-scoring weekend for Alfa Romeo, by the way. Oh, boy. Uh, Lando Norris and Nico Hulkenberg tied at 12. Danny Kvyat at 10. Alex Albon at 7. Lance Stroll on 6 now. Romain Grosjean last of the point scorers in 17th. Giovinazzi, Russell Kubica yet to score points. And in the Constructors' Championship, oh, boy. Mercedes have a commanding 100-point-plus lead, 295 to Ferrari's 172, Red Bull on 124, McLaren Renault still atop Formula 1.5 in fourth place, but only two points ahead of the factory Renault team in fifth on 28 points, Racing Point with 19 points, Toro Rosso with 17, Haas with 16, Alpha with 13, Williams still out on a duck. That's a Cricket World Cup term, by the way. Shout out to the Cricket World Cup. It's pretty fun. It's worth noting that uh, Lewis Hamilton alone is only 10 points behind both Ferrari drivers together. By himself. <laughs> By, By himself. <laughs> but remember, guys, Ferrari are faster. Oh, battle for fourth, getting spicy. Oh, yeah, at least the battle for fourth is still good. And hey, Formula <laughs> 1.5 won't let us down. <laughs> Um, so we'll be back in an Epic Games Fortnite Battle Royale's time for the Pirelli Grand Prix de France on June 23rd at Circuit Paul Ricard, a track that somehow is undecipherable to Formula One professionals, yet somehow uh, amateur sports car drivers can circumnavigate it just fine. Are we expecting more Mercedes dominance, yes or very yes? Um... The track layout has some areas where I'd say it would favor Ferrari straight line speed. On the other hand, there's a few areas that uh, the Mercedes will just be crucifying the field with low speed grip. I believe uh, this one is undecided. Yeah, because yeah, well, there, there are four points on the track where the cars will exceed 200 miles an hour. So it's we'll maybe it'll we'll be see balanced. What yeah, I, I was I was massively impressed by the race last year. I thought the wheel to wheel action was better than anticipated. It's not a bad yeah. track at all. I think it'll be. I'm hoping it'll be a good race as we kick off the the rest of the European leg of the circuit. Before we uh, descend further into madness, let's go over to Texas and catch up on the DNC Technologies 600K in the IndyCar series. Hell yeah. What a burger! Bucky's rest stops, pit barbecue, um, tech startups in Austin. All these are things you associate 
with the great state of Texas. Stars at night are big and bright. Deep in my heart, Texas. Underwhelming college football. <laughs> Underwhelming college football. Underwhelming professional football. <laughs> oh. oh, man. The DXC Technology 600K. IndyCar After Dark. You know, I... I think the one is in the process of being reclaimed uh, very, very slowly. Joseph Newgarden pulled off the win in a race that I was, you know, out doing social things and couldn't get to watch in its entirety. <laughs> Serves me right for, you know, having a social life. How dare you? Okay, so so there were a couple things to take away from this race. And before we talk about Joseph Newgarden's late charge to win the race... Let's talk about with 20 laps to go and Alexander Rossi perhaps pulling off the greatest save of the year. Man, and oh my goodness. And an on-track incident between two people, you would be like, "Really? Scott Dixon had an had an accident with with Colton Herta and it wasn't 100% Colton Herta's fault?" Yeah, they were both racing each other for position in turn three. They were they were three of the four cars with about twenty laps to go that had a shot to win it. Uh, they touched uh, with both of them spinning, and it was as they were spinning that Alexander Rossi has basically no time to react to juke inside of uh, of her of her to spinning car, which looks very similar if you think about it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Rossi was doing it for Herta in this race with a throwback to right now delivery. (laughs) So, so Rossi just manages to avoid the car in doing so. The car starts to come around him and he has to go full opposite lock coming out of four just to keep the car um, from tagging the wall as it had with Zach Veach and James Hinchcliffe earlier on in the race both of them had spun out of turn two and crashed out of the race uh but amazing car control that was that was easily the highlight of the race yes it was easily the highlight of the race without a doubt because uh when the race restarted pretty much we got we got almost a copycat situation of last weekend in detroit (laughs) yeah because uh Newgarden really wasn't a factor in this race until about 50 laps to go. Um, It wasn't until he took the lead on lap 190, and then he had a great pit stop. Hey, Penske's pit crew, back on track. Well done. Uh, They had a quick final pit stop. Newgarden put in fast lap after fast lap. Uh, Once he took the lead back again on lap 202, he never gave it back. Yeah, Rossi had some really, really intense looks down the front straight, where through the quad oval, he'd pull up alongside Newgarden, but he just didn't have the run to get around him before turn one. So, tell me if you spot a familiar theme of Alexander Rossi finished second to a Penske car. Cam, what's your mantra? There is only one rule in United States motorsports. You pour in blood, sweat, and tears. And then you lose to Penske. Alexander Rossi has been embodying that statement all year. Goodness, up, uh, goodness, up. Uh, yeah, if I, I can go ahead and look at the championship table, but uh, folks, this was, uh, you know, how we long, how some uh, IndyCar fans long for the days of young, exciting American talent. Well, 
Okay, one of these top five isn't really that young, but we got an all-American top five <laughs> out of this. Yeah, it's uh, it's Rossi's second, excuse me, no, it's Rossi's third, fourth, second place finish in the last four races. It was second in Indy, second in Detroit 1, and second at Texas. Oof. Wow. And all of them were to either Pagenaud at Indy or Newgarden in two of the last three. <laughs> Penske, stop being so Penske. Yeah, and out of all this, it was Graham Rahal, the hero of that race, and I believe it was 2017, was that was that photo finish? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yes, Rahal finishing third. Um, another impressive day at the Ovals, for one, Santino Ferrucci, who comes back from 18th to finish fourth, which means he has corrected all of his behaviors, and we can all like him again. <laughs> That's not how personalities uh... work. I don't know about this one, Chief. That's a, that's totally how it works. <laughs> Otherwise, friends of the show wouldn't have to write articles saying, don't do this. Uh. And Ryan hunter Ray having led 90 laps of the race, including much of the first half, uh, comes away with a fifth place finish, which isn't all that bad in all honesty. Isn't all that bad. Uh, Though, should should uh, we still be referring to as Captain America? It feels uncomfortable at this point. Yeah, I know Dre's made the point that this is Rossi's team now. If it wasn't apparent last year, or at the end of the year before that, yeah. Alexander Rossi is the new ace of Andretti Autosport, and has been for a while. We just gotta come to accept that. Oh, man. Um, Simon Pagenaud, your boy Cam, comes away with a sixth place finish, and not for nothing, Marcus Erickson finished on the lead lap in seventh. That is a great performance for going to driver on only his second ever oval start. Yeah, he endeared himself very well. Uh, kept his nose clean, came away with a very good result, and he needed it after his last uh, couple of weeks. Oh, yes, indeed. That's uh, that's two good finishes in a row now after that maiden podium in Detroit um, mm. in the second leg of that race. So I'm running through the rest of the championship order. Uh, this is a Texas race, so not a lot of lead lap finishers. Uh, last, uh, last car in the lead lap was Sebastian Bourdais in eighth. Um, Will Power in ninth. Marco Andretti, 10th. Connor Daly, will talk about him. He's in the number 59 car for Carlin Racing. You might be thinking, shouldn't that be driven by somebody else? But it was driven by Connor this weekend, and he kept it out of the wall and finished 11th. Ahead of Felix Rosenquist in 12th. Um, Oval Master at Carpenter in 13th. Spencer Pickett in 14th. And Takuma Sato led 60 laps, but finished three laps down. Um, and more Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan mechanics have gone through pain as, uh, Chris Welch was put ass over tea kettle in the pit lane. Um, for that, Sato was given a stop go penalty for hitting a crewman. Uh, the car slid in the pit stall and hit, uh, front tire changer Chris Welch, who immediately got back up and finished the pit stop. Shrugged it off like it was nothing. Oh, God. Eventually evaluated and released from the Tracks and Field Care Center, which is good to see after uh, after uh, Chris Pino had had gotten his leg smashed by Jordan King at the Indy 500. But man, it, it seemed like heading in, it was going to be Sato's race because he had one pole. He he dominated the first first per- portion of the race until his pit stop. Yeah, he led yeah. the first 60 laps. 
and he and Dixon were just chasing each other away from the field during Dude, that, that time. Dude, qual- that two-lap so qualifying run, that two-lap qualifying run, though, that was immense. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, Sato deserved a, a much better result out of that. Uh, Tony Kanan was the last of the runners in 16th. There were six non-finishers. Uh, Scott Dixon, Colton Herta, both of them crashed on lap 229. James Hinchcliffe spun out of two. His day was done after 218 and a half laps. Zach Veach retired due to what was classified as a handling problem, but he too spun coming out of turn two and wrecked. Charlie Kimball retired due to a mechanical failure. He was 21st, and Mateus Leist uh, retired after 73 laps with a handling problem. There were 13 lead changes, 22 caution laps, and I think most importantly, at a track like this, uh, everybody came away pretty much okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, We didn't get the usual... Texas pile up. The closest thing we really had was the Dixon Colton uh, Herda incident, which was a two car crash, yeah. and both were able to walk away all right. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's the traditional Texas pile up. Usually, Texas goes one of two ways: it's you know complete chaos or processional. And I think we got the right balance this race. Yeah, thank goodness <laughs> we did because. I don't know about you, but especially in our post-Vegas 2011 society, IndyCar is trying to pack race like it's uh, like it's an early 2000s NASCAR race at, at Talladega. <laughs> Fucking scares me. Yeah. I don't want that, but I also don't want the race to be too terribly boring. So we got the right midst of that. Yeah, passing was possible, but it wasn't easy. Yeah, you had to work for passes out there. <laughs> And I think that's uh, that's kind of how it should be. Should we go into the championship standings? Because, uh, not surprising, with his third win of the season, Joseph Newgarten has edged out a 25-point lead in the Drivers' Championship over second place Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi has got to be sick of finishing second place. <laughs> Um, it is 367 to 342. Simon Pagano is still third in the championship on 319 points. Scott Nixon with that DNF falls to fourth with 278. He is now six points ahead of Takuma Sato in fifth on 272. Will Power in sixth on 254. He finished in ninth ahead of Ryan Hunter Ray at 252. Seventh, Graham Rahal in eighth on 211. Your leading rookie, Santino Ferrucci, on 193. He is three points ahead of his Dale Coin Racing teammate, Sebastian Bourdais on 190, tied with James Hinchcliffe on the same number of points, Rosenquist on 181, Pickett on 178, Andretti on 167, Erickson on 166, Herta on 158th. That's uh, that's his fourth retirement in the last six races after winning at Circuit at the Americas, by the way. Kanan on 147, Jones on 144. He was out this race, Veach on 141, and Lace rounds up your top 20 on 135 points. Of course, your next race is going to be in two weeks' time at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, for the Grand Prix of Road America. Oh, buddy. It's on the network. <laughs> on the NBC's on the NBC network. Yep. That's right. That is that is pretty awesome. Uh general thoughts on uh Texas before we wrap up this segment of the show? Ooh, fun time. I like 
man, if we get this race at Texas every year, wouldn't complain. Would not complain. Great. It was a good race. You know, I, I kind of agree. I, I, I owe it to myself to watch that back, especially. You know? But hey, I had to go 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 get drinks with friends and shoot a pool. <laughs> anyway, we'll, uh, we'll pause for a second and catch up on everything else before we dive right into our next segment. All right, so the news. King, tell us about future F1 sporting regs. Oh, uh, well, we don't have them yet. Though some details have come out that the teams have uh, agreed to uh, preliminarily. (laughs) That's an awkward word to say, but like they've agreed to but not have officially signed on to introducing a third rule set because normally we we do have the technical and sporting regulations well now we're gonna have financial regulations and uh the teams have agreed to uh effectively a cost cap of 175 million dollars us and that's uh, expected to cover uh, pretty much everything except for the three highest paid team executives, the drivers, marketing hospitality, travel, and the first $15 million spent on power units. It, it says here that Toto Wolf just got a $200 million US dollar raise per year. <laughs> hmm. Oh boy. So we're once again at the point where we're approaching a cost cap. Uh, we saw what happened last time. Um, this certainly isn't over by any stretch. Yes, not by a long shot. It, it's not over by a long shot because they it hasn't been signed as official regulations yet. Uh, obviously, this was a compromise. No one, <laughs> no one is satisfied by the compromise uh, because yeah, it's. There's not going to be like a glide slope down to 175, uh, 175 million. It'll just start from day one. Uh, the smaller teams, I believe, wanted it, the cost cap to be 125 million. Uh, there, <laughs> there, there's dissatisfied people on all fronts, but it's this is progress. It's it's progress at least. And uh, there was also some bit about the uh, the the tires um, and some teams that were opposed and some teams that were for it. Uh, yes, uh, but yes. this is completely unrelated to that. Uh, yes. Pretty much, the certain teams uh, want to go back to the old way the tires were constructed in the previous seasons, where they had uh, go back to basically thicker treads, where uh, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much to paraphrase Gunter Steiner, he he's he's done with these Kinder Surprise tires. Yeah, and uh, rumors point to pretty much everyone in F1 being in agreement, except for McLaren, whose car is going very well on these tires, and I imagine sees no reason to change them. <laughs> and the team that has absolutely destroyed the field this year, 
and their customers. Oh, God. The Mercedes and the Mercedes customers. And that would be Racing Point and Williams. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm... But to be fair, I don't see how changing the tires will do anything for Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, Also, we mentioned... uh, Mentioned hilarious ways to circumvent the cap. King, do you remember when Ilya Kovalchuk first signed with the New Jersey Devils? Yes, I do. Do you remember his initial 17-year, $102 million deal that saw him getting paid a league minimum for the final five years of his contract by the time he turned 40? One that was so hilariously front-loaded that the NHL had to cancel it out? Yes, because it was ludicrous. All I'm saying is, if if teams want to get if they if they included driver salaries as part of that, I guarantee you some team would try and just hilariously front load some driver's multi year contract. Oh, they really. All would, right, though. we're we're paying we're paying Daniel Ricardo third. We're paying Daniel Ricardo fifty million dollars over the next four years, and he's going to get forty million of that all in his first two. <laughs> Don't blow it all in one place, Daniel. <laughs> we mentioned that Connor Daly was driving for Carlin Racing in our DC Technology 600 recap. He had taken over from Matt Shilton, who announced that he was not going to drive any of the four remaining oval races, including Texas, uh, this season. Connor Daly will replace him in Texas. They are still working out what is to be done uh, with the remaining seats. And Daly wasn't a bad shout. He did match Chilton's best result at Carlin in his one race at Texas. Uh, But Chilton's decision was motivated by safety. Again, IndyCar is launching their AeroScreen Halo protection device in 2020. Chilton said uh, that he that his risk management is a central consideration of both how both his sponsor and myself and how we operate. So we decided normal rival races, at least until 2020. Um, Chilton's not bad at ovals. Uh, you can remember, you can call back, of course, when he was still with Ganassi and he nearly won the Indianapolis 500, but this was more or less a safety motivated decision, similar to how Mike Conway uh, after his second near-fatal accident, the Indianapolis 500 decided to call it quits on ovals permanently. Um, this was very, very divisive. Uh, Extremely when this was... divisive. <laughs> right. Um, Cam, your thoughts on Chilton's decision and what Carlin does moving forward? Um, I can't speak for what Carlin does going forward. I'll say that I have no real problem with his decision because they're going at such high speeds on ovals. It's been discussed, the safety factor of some tracks in IndyCar, Texas. We just, you know, in our uh, race review a couple minutes ago, we're just thankful that everyone got home safe. Right. Pocono, albeit not really the fault of the track, has seen one fatal accident and one extremely, extremely lucky that the man survived. There is only one, Robert Wickens' accident last year. And I don't blame Chilton for waiting until the cars get additional safety equipment, being that screen Halo hybrid, mm-hmm. to get back into the car for ovals. Oh, I agree. And I think uh, 
I think if it was not down to personnel, you know, I think Carlin could have at least benefited from what Connor was going to bring the team in terms of maybe giving the team a different look. And uh, he was mightily impressive at Indy, and he was mightily impressive at Texas. Um, and things aren't, you know, we mentioned as well, we've talked about Patricio Ward and his situation with Carlin. Uh, as it turns out, he may not have the budget to run all the races that he was planning to run because he's pulled out of a few events. Um, and Red Bull have said that they will not sponsor his IndyCar endeavors, which, well, what's the fucking point? Uh, well, the point the point for Red Bull is they have another driver in their camp. They don't have to pay him anything. It's just that no other F1 team can sign him now. So they're basically just doing like the football thing where you could just keep talent stashed away and stashed away. Not do anything with them, but just make sure they don't run off to anybody else. Yep. Yep. You know, kind of like if yeah, you exactly. if you happen to see like a WWE uh, superstar that hasn't done much in a while and realize, well, why aren't they just on television? That's that's kind of a similar thing. Or you wonder why any football club would just pay some young kid to just sit on the bench. Please don't do this to Christian Pulisic, Chelsea. Please, I'm begging you. Please, I'm just fucking begging you. I mean, I bet they have to play him, RJ. They, they've been banned from making any transfers. They can't take any more talent in. Okay, I guess that's a point. But yeah, it's a similar thing here. And, you know, I, I hope Patricio can see out as many races in the season because he is a phenomenal talent. It would be an absolute waste of what talent he brings. Again, I've remarked in the show that, you know, hey... You know, Santino Ferrucci's character is not that great, and he's getting opportunities that I'm sure Patricio Award would love to have, or any other young driver for that matter. Yeah, and it's and besides, you know, the, the you know the funding issue with Award, uh, you also have to look at how just generally slow Carlin were at Texas, and uh, Kimball's mechanical failure wasn't you know like due to contact or anything; it was a wheel bearing failure. It's and, yeah, uh, you can ask Mario Andretti, who had a hellacious accident right before his 1969 Indy 500 win, exactly how bad one of those failing at speed on an oval really is. Oof. Oh, man. Let's go to Spain. I don't know why I wrote this down as Magello, because... Uh, <laughs> But uh, we had World Superbikes. We're going to give you the express version because Dre is not here and Lewis is just listening in. Conflicts and interests of all. Um, surprise! Alvaro Batista won a race. Surprise again. He won another race. Actual surprise. He fell and somebody else that wasn't Jonathan Ray won in his place? Bautista is mortal! <laughs> Bautista is mortal! Congratulations. He wants his rematch. Alvaro Bautista won race one, won the sprint race, but after falling in race two, it was Michael Vandermark of Yamaha taking his first win of the season on a string of three consecutive podiums where he finished second in the in the first race and in the sprint. Wow. It Wild Times the World Superbike. Though... Alvaro Bautista still comfortably in the points lead. Also, I, I do want, I wish I had Dre on to talk about the premature celebration that happened in one of the super sport races. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. Apparently, uh, one of the riders got caught celebrating early and uh, ended up finishing third as a result. Uh, 
Yeah, we had a full <laughs> Jacobellis moment, and I wish Dre was on here to talk about this. Is yeah, one of the other big stories was uh, Jonathan Ray wiping uh, wiping one of the Lowe's brothers. I believe this is this is Sam here, right? Yes. Uh, Alex Lowe's. Okay, oh, no, Alex yeah. Lowe's. Um, I, I, it's it's easy to get my Lowe's mixed up here. Um, <laughs> wiped him out of the last corner race one. Got sent to the back of the grid for the sprint race, and still finished fourth in that sprint race. He's still Jonathan Ray at the end of the day. Yep. Not even not even being friends with the DUP can shackle his speed. Should we talk about the W series in Misano? Yes. What a segue. <laughs> yeah, so this'll be one of two things we talk about in Misano. Um I came in to watch an absolute barnstormer of a duel between Jamie Chadwick and Bietzka Visser. Uh, Chadwick, who has seemed to have all the pace except in the slow speed section where it looked like Visser was going to get a run out of her, but sadly, no, Chadwick, sadly for Visser, no, Chadwick is able to hold off and take her second win of the season. And, uh, one of the other big stories, Fabian, the whirlwind, Volwind, taking pole position and converting that into her first W Series podium. Man, if... We're we're halfway through W series season. I'd probably say the the breakout star of this series so far, Fabian Volvend, without a doubt. <laughs> it's either her or it's Miki Koyama who came to finish in fourth after uh, after coming from sits on the grid. Uh, Vicky Peria with her best finish in the series in fifth, which was really awesome to see. Uh, the Marta train, Marta Garcia in sixth, out of Tasman Pepper in seventh. Saber Cook with her first points, doing it for America in eighth. <laughs> Sarah Moore doing it on Pride Month in ninth. And Vivian Castigui with her first points in tenth place. Um, Sophia Flourish unavailable for comment. There was only one retirement when Alice Powell was sent, uh, almost flipping over on the opening lap. Uh, somehow, with that contact with Fabian Volvin, Volvin came back to finish in third. Powell, her first retirement of the season, which puts her... Uh, back quite a ways in the championship. Jimmy Chadwick still leads with 68 points. Bietzka Visser on 55. Garcia on 35. Powell on 33. And Volwend on 29. It's going to be another month until we see the cars again at the Norris Ring. Uh, for We're the going fourth round. Racing. Oh my god, W Series going street racing. I am here for all of this. Oh, man. And, of course, it wasn't the only thing that happened at Masano. DTM happened. Marco Whitman won a race. Nico Mueller won a race. And Andrea DeVitiosa did pretty all right for himself in his first uh, competitive four-wheel <laughs> outing. Oh, he did very, very well. Uh, didn't didn't score any points, but respectable. 12th in race one, 15th in race two. Man, he was mixing it up with the KTMs, which is... Ray KTM, I mean, mixing it up with the Aston Martins, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, to be yeah. fair, I mean, to be fair, if you look right. at their performance. Okay, yeah. Ryan is, uh, he's, he's still got KTMs on the brain. Freudian slip, filling in for Jamie for Jamie Green, uh, finishes both his races. And he did so well that, Al- that Valentino Rossi decided, you know what, I want to do this too. As he said today, he's going to be in the DTM series as a driver at some point in the future. At some point. 
You would kind of think that maybe they wanted both Rotsi and Davi in this race, but could only get one of them. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Davi does ride a MotoGP bike for a brand that is owned by Audi. Yeah, I was about to say, who the fuck is Rossi going to ride for? BMW seems like a conflict of interest on the bike side, and would he really want to get in an Aston Martin? I don't know. And considering Davi beat all the Astons in race one. Yeah, I don't think he's going to want any part of that. When's Alfa Romeo coming back? That's what we want to know. Hop to it. Maybe Honda Mercedes, can- Mercedes, can you uh, can you ignore that silly electric series? Whoa! I know whoa. it's the, I know it's the future. I know it's the future. Whoa! But hey, I don't actually have that opinion. Oh, man, <laughs> MotoGP would hope it's a BMW. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let, be honest; it's probably going to be a BMW. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. really the only viable option unless we get another manufacturer in DTM. Oh, and also, NASCAR happened at Michigan. There was a rain delay, and Bubba Wallace and Corey LaJoy threw a football at one another. <laughs> because that's what happens when you have a rain delay. All right. Um, we can hold off no longer. After this quick musical interlude, we're going to come back with the Lamar 24 Hours Super Preview 2 Preview with a vengeance. Okay, um, so, Lamaze this weekend, and after this we'll talk about other things that are happening, but it's the other leg of the Triple Crown, the one that Fernando Alonso is actually going to be in, uh, so what we've decided, because he owes it to us, and because we're pressed for time, I'm gonna set a stopwatch here at, uh, I got, uh, Say good uh, seven minutes. It's just like the comedy club on Open Up. You get seven solid minutes, Cam. The floor is yours. All right. So uh, here we are, the finale of uh, the Super Season, or so they call it, where Toyota has won every single race, at least on the road. And, well, that doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon. Entering two cars is Toyota Gazoo Racing and LMP1 against a regular contingent of LMP1 privateers that Fernando Alonso can't understand why they aren't as fast. Now, for those of you who have been in the M101 Discord and the Jimmer Discord and Twitter, you know that I am a rather staunch critic of the ACO. So what do they go and do? Well, they decide, hey, for the next set of regulations, which, by the way, still aren't finished and still aren't out, despite the debut of these new regulations being, what, September next year? Am I right in saying? I think so. September think- September next year is when we might see these. Go ahead. Might see running. these. Deciding that instead of picking, say, a low-cost but still brandable option like DPI... Instead, we're going to have five different options combined into one single class with a reduced hybrid system that is actually optional. You don't need to run hybrid. Well, you do if you don't want to get humiliated, but as we've seen with LMP1 teams, that's not a big deal. We're going to have five different fucking 
classes in one when they can't balance two together? What? What? I know, buddy. You've you've been you've been you've been saving this <laughs> I've up. I've been for beating weeks. this drum. There's nothing left of the drum. Will Levin's cars be eligible under the new regulations? Hmm. You might have a chance at a win, to be honest. <laughs> More of a chance than an LMP1 privateer. And, you know, not to piggyback off of this, but, you know, they already messed up LMP1 privateer once, and then they messed it up again. Under the yes, premise that, like... You had a chance this time. It's not like before where the Rebellion LMP1 privateers were going as slow as LMP2 cars. It'll be different this time, except it's not. Yeah, the ACO successfully baited multiple teams to switch from the low-cost, high-power, you-might-have-a-shot, depending on how things go, as we saw in 2017, LMP2 class baited them up to LMP1, which amounted to, in the case of the Rebellion, just a blown-up LMP2 car, to have effectively fuck-all chance at having a better result in the overall standings than an LMP2 car. Spending a whole lot more money, having to develop the car over the season, and this is with these cars having significantly more aero freedom than Toyota. Yeah, they more could, fuel they flow could, into their Yes, engines. they can have more fuel flow. They can openly develop the car as many times as they want, and it just doesn't matter unless Toyota gets it saluted for a skid block of fraction. Yes, because despite running literally unopposed, Toyota somehow didn't sweep the season, and Porsche's record from the 70s of being the last company to sweep a full endurance season still stands. And we remember, it wasn't that long ago in the peak years of Toyota versus Audi versus Porsche before Dieselgate that we were talking about how, hey, maybe when the F- when the WC commentators say they're better than F1, it's not just out of security, it might be a valid point. Yeah, I mean, in 2015, we had a slug match between two of the greatest endurance racing brands to ever grace the streets the the streets of Lasarth. And the racing was great. The cars were interesting. They were unbelievable to watch them accelerate. And they really weren't that far off F1 cars before their hybrid systems and ICEs were pegged back at the end of 2015. And now we're wondering... You know, is the series, depending on how things go, because Hypercar is supposedly gotten two manufacturers plus Scuderia uh, Glickenhaus in Toyota, who have made their frustrations very clear about having to wait so long to finish these regulations, and Aston Martin with a modified version, which is where these multiple different classes merged into one, come in, um potentially a modified version of the Valkyrie road-going hypercar. Well, if you know anything about Le Mans history, and you know that really about 20 years ago, something similar happened where you've got completely different cars trying to race together in the same class with different aero concepts, different powertrains, and the like, you know that the balance doesn't work. Cam, are we... Have we let it all out of our system yet? (laughs) I've got more, but uh, for the sake of the podcast, we can move on to the actual Le Mans preview. All right. Um, I say we take it 
I'd say we take it am classes first and then yeah. pro classes second. Yeah, let's uh, let's run through our what we call our bandwagoner's guide to the amateur classes, an idea that we have uh, taken from nobody else. It's entirely original. <laughs> let's start in GT am where we have where we had five Ferraris sweep the top five and and the testing. Um, let me just run down some of the notables. Spirit of Race, the number fifty four have. Former F1 Grand Prix winner Giancarlo Fisichella as their platinum. Let's see here. Fastest in testing, WeatherTech Racing from the IMSA WeatherTech series with Tony Vlander as their platinum noted man who drove a stint at Bathurst that was backbreaking and came out like he was going to shop for groceries. <laughs> uh, we have four Proton competition entered. Porsche 911 RSRs, three of them with Patrick Dempsey's name attached to them, including, including, including the number 77, which has your boy, Matthew Campbell. The Send Master himself. Oh, goodness. And I believe uh, a sentimental favorite among many, the number 98 Aston Martin Racing Vantage. This is Paul De Alana. You may know his story from the movie The Gentleman Driver. Pedro Lamy, another F1 veteran, and racing with the heaviest heart, Matias Lauda. This trio has raced here many times before with Aston Martin, have come so close to winning this category, and have never won it. And we should also mention as well the Team Project 1 uh, Porsche art car with uh, with the Mentos, the Freshmaker, Egidio Perfetti, and Jörg Burmeister, the giant of Leverkusen, as well as a privateer under 4GT from Keating Motorsports with the purple and orange wins motor oil livery. Ben Keating. Remember Jerome. this. Yes. It becomes important later. And also the the one all-women's team from Kessel Racing, Manuela Gosner, Rahel Frey, and Michelle Gadding, all competing in another uh, Ferrari. So GTM, lots of Ferraris. And some Porsches, Astons, and a single 4GT to mix it up. Um, who do you like out of this category? If you have any insight. Um, it's not my Porsche superfan bias showing. I think the 77 car is a good shot. I think that the Spirit of Race Ferrari uh, with Fisichella has a good shot. Um, I'm liking the 98 Aston as well. It's going to depend on how the Astons go here because the Vantage... The new Vantage hasn't been exactly the most competitive thing in the world here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this will be kind of the last hurrah for the old Vantage. Um, Disregard my previous statement entirely, then. Yeah, yes. yeah, this will be, yes, this uh, because the new one isn't homologated until net super season. So GTM oh, is stuck in a time. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're um, still living in 2018. <laughs> a couple of cars I want to point out. Clearwater Racing have uh, a good driver lineup anchored by Matt Griffin and Matteo Crisoni. Car Guy Racing have Com Ledegar and maybe one of my favorite gentleman drivers, Takeshi Kimura. Real estate developer by day, car collector by night. Drifts a Ferrari F40 from his collection up a ski resort. <laughs> he is yeah. in it. He is in it as well, as well as TF Sport, a uh, popular team. Um, they have some good drivers as well as JMW Motorsport with uh, Jeffrey Siegel and Rodrigo Bautista anchoring them. They've won this race before. Now let's go to the Orica Cup <clears throat> LMP2. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I see. I see here. What's this? And 
An Aris? <laughs> and hmm. an Alpine? Uh, Dalara? Oh, uh, no, no, Dalara. No, that's that's not, that's an LMP two and a half. <laughs> yeah. There's a, okay, we, we just, Quite a few but of those. there's uh, some interesting contenders. Let's start with the car that finished first on the track and was disqualified, anchored by Jean-Eric Fern. That's the G-Drive Racing number 26. Uh, they also have Joab Van Oytert and Roman Rusinov as their not amateur, amateur gentleman driver. <sighs> Behave, Don't y'all. cheat this year, guys. <laughs> You're better than that. And John Eric Fern doesn't deserve that black mark on his record. Come no, on. he does not. Um, they, the- uh, their, their cheating last year sucked out any excitement for what would have been the prototype class worth it watching. Took, it took months to decide the race and finality. <laughs> yes, it did. Months. Let's not do that again. And the car that actually won the race, the Signatech Alpine team, Nicola LaPierre, Andre Negrel, former GP2 and Road to Indy product, and Pierre Thierrier. Um, they're also interested in the new whatever-the-fuck-the-top-class-is-going-to-be uh, regulations, which is no surprise because they're effectively the other factory LMP1 te- LMP2 team of the field. Yeah, the, the don't call it an Orica Alpine A470. Yeah, there's uh, there's some other interesting Oricas as well. Some that stick out to my mind. TDS Racing, anchored by Loic Dufal and Matthew Vetsivier, who does not have a PRK for to magnetically attached to. Uh, the number 31 Dragon Speed Effort. This is Pastor Maldonado, Anthony Davidson, and Roberto Gonzalez. Okay, this lineup should not be allowed. This lineup yeah. should not be allowed. <laughs> Roberto Amateur Gonz- in big quotes. <laughs> yeah, Roberto Gonzalez drove in champ car, and I know it's the OWRS era champ car, and it's absolute trough, but, but like, come on. Two former F1 drivers and a champ car driver. I'll tell you what What shouldn't be legal is uh, one of the two of these Jack and Chan DC racing lineups. So you have the fastest car Oh, yes, car that's the one. I, that's Ho- the one I was looking at. Hopin Tung, Stefan Raquelmi, and Gabrielle Aubrey in the Mighty 38. And the retooled 37, not the Fortune Cat from Malaysia, but they have retooled with Ricky Taylor, oh. <laughs> Jordan King, and David Heinemeyer Hansen, who is going to crunch the numbers and then tell us how <laughs> bad FIA driver categorization has got it wrong. In the words of uh, Adam Johnson's favorite reaction, yes. That's fucking illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, if anybody stands a chance uh, to topple them, might be the newly expanded United Autosport team who got to bring both cars. Thank goodness. Because in one of them, you have Felipe Felipe Albuquerque and Paul DeResta, speaking of illegal lineups, alongside Philip Hansen, who should probably be... Philip Hansen might be the most impressive, and he is the super silver of this team. Oh my goodness. And, and the uh, other car. Yeah, the other car has Alex Brundle, Will Owen from Yunko's Racing, and uh, Ryan Cullen. God! Two, two great lineups, unfortunately saddled in the Ligier, which is a good car, but not an Orca 07. Right, and speaking of good cars that are not Orca 07, Racing Team Netherland might have the standout DeLorean, correct me, 
I'm almost certain they switched to Orica, but if, if it's a Ferrari, fine, we'll take it for the sake of this discussion because, one, they're running a throwback early 90s minority livery because uh, gentleman driver Fritz Van Eerd is a huge minority stand, which I appreciate. And they also have two very solid professional drivers in Gato Van Der Garda and Nick DeVries. Ooh. Oh, be Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I almost forgot. French team Duquesne Engineering coming out of nowhere with an all-French lineup anchored by Romain Dumas. My man. <laughs> the EV record holder at the Nürburgring and the outright record holder at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Oh, did you talk about as the well Panis Parthas, Liché? Oh, goodness. Uh, anchored by uh, the team run by former Man U goalkeeper Fabian Barthez and former <laughs> F1 winner Olivier Panis with former IndyCar driver Renee Bender and Will the Lad Stevens. Uh, thank you for bringing that up for me. Oh, Lord. Man, yes. this is not an amateur category. The amateur <laughs> is there for marketing. <laughs> Yeah, the rules are you have to have one bronze or silver graded driver, and then the other two you can pick any combination of professionals or amateurs that you wish. Ooh. And boy, have they. <laughs> boy, have they. Again, if if LMP1 is a walkover, I'm hoping LMP2 is good. Please because be good. LMP2 hardly ever disappoints. I just hope they behave. Yeah, because... Um... I think one of the reasons why we've got so many good drivers is the first year of this upgraded, very fast LMP2 class in 2017, despite one of these cars almost winning the race overall when LMP1 melted down on a scale we have not seen in a very, very long time, there was a lot of incidents in LMP2, a lot of them very stupid. Oh, man. Uh, Let's get to the pro classes. Because oh, I yes. want to bring tasty up, I up GT Pro because mm. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking because Ford is cutting their factory involvement. They're bringing four cars, all in throwback liveries, to say goodbye to their factory involvement. BMW is pulling the plug on Team MTech's WEC efforts with the factory M8s, the big mates. Not the big mates. <laughs> they will mate. still be in IMSA. So I'm kind of looking at this like... This race, the last race of the C7R, I'm hoping this isn't the end of the era of GT Pro being the standout racing category. Yeah, I mean, you've got full factory involvement in five you know, teams here, and we know that two teams, we know, uh, according to a report today, that Multimatic, who built the 4GT, may get a team to run pro cars next year. Which is but Ford good. will not be involved. Right. So and it'll basically it. be the M Sport WRC arrangement. And we know that Very M -Tech much so. are, M Tech will not be backed by the factory. They are pulling the plug after just one season. One super yes. season, but still one season. Yes, and um we're also we know we're losing the C seven R to whatever the C eight R will be. We know the engine's in the middle. We know it doesn't sound like the God of Thunder. But if it's fast, you know, that's good enough. And not for nothing, the two Corvettes blocked out that were first and third in uh, the test day. Yes, despite my allegiance to another team, it would be very sweet to see the C7R go out on top, at least in Europe, because we know the rest of the IMSA season they'll be competing over there in their last season in America. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know that we're losing 
at least in Europe, after this race, the sound of the wailing flat six banshee because Porsche is updating the 911 RSR and it's losing the whale. Oh man, I'm very heartbroken. Man, um. So I guess we want to start this in alphabetical order. Aston Martin Racing, two cars. The number 95 Denmark Turner Overdrive with Nicky Team, Marco Sorensen, and Darren Turner. The 97 with Maxime Martin, Alex Lynn from the Formula E circuit, and Jonathan Adam. I hope they're more competitive than they were last year. Of course, last year this was the effective debut of the new Vantage. And, and uh, it, did like not, it. it did not drive well. No, um, they were absolutely awful in a straight line not that much better in the corners between development and BOP I think they'll have a better showing they've shown much better over the course of the WEC season but uh, I think they could have a good race it's going to depend I think once we get into practice and qualifying to see really where they are compared to the established folk here at this track because of course Lasarth is not like other tracks Big Mate is here, maybe for the final time at Le Mans in its current format. The 81 of Nikki Katzberg, Meow, Martin Tomchik, and Philip Eng. The 82 with Augusto Farfus, Formula E race winner Antonio Fiewitz Sacasa, and Jesse Krohn. They were bottom of the testing tables in GTE Pro. I don't know how to feel about BMW. One, because they'll probably be damaging the track from the sheer thickness. Yes. But also because in WEC, the big mate has not been very competitive. That's one of the factors as to why BMW is pulling the support of Team MTech. I don't expect them to challenge for the win based on previous pace shown. Mm-hmm. But hey, we'll get some great memes out of it. Absolutely. If nothing else. Um, especially with Nikki Team and one of the Astons. That's always a given. Yep. Corvette Racing, the 63 of Jan Magnussen, Antonio Garcia, and Mike Rockenfeller. Um, hell of a plus one, as well as a 64 of Oliver Gavin, Tom Milner, and Marcel Fussler, who's between Rockefeller and Fossler, that's uh, four overall victories from your plus ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're all right. Plus a uh, big mag and big mag in the 63. Yeah, Magnuson and Garcia, you talk about a you talk about a striker duo that'll give Real Madrid some fits. Oh boy. <laughs> yes. Um champions without wins. They'll get they can get the job done. Absolutely. And of course, uh t- noted supporter of the show, Tony's most hated man, Oliver Gavin, driving the sixty-four. He doesn't deserve that much hate. He doesn't. He's really he's good. He's the backbone of the team. He's, he's really been, good, and so a, is Tommy Milner. Goodness, yeah. Um, let's talk about the I can't believe these aren't factory Ferraris from Scuderia Ferrari and North American Racing Team. Uh, uh, should check my notes here. That's two from AF Corsa, or Corsa AF, you know how those millennials are, <laughs> and Racing Competizione from Texas. Uh, yes, the, number 51 car driven by Alessandro Pierre Guidi, James Collado, and Daniel Serra. 71 with Davide Ragon, Sam Bird from the Formula E Championship, and Miguel Molina, and the 89 Rizzi Competizione car of Luis Filippo Durani, but you can call him Pipo, Oliver Jarvis, and Jules Gunyon. Oh, that, I didn't even realize the the Rizzi lineup was like that. Holy shit. Yep. So, so for clarification, they brought in uh, the fastest man ever on the Daytona road course in Jarvis. They brought in Pipo Durani, 
um, whose exploits and prototypes in North America need no introduction, and factory Bentley racing driver Jules Gunyan. I wonder how different it will be to uh, be throwing a Ferrari around instead of an actual continent. (laughs) I don't know. Um, And of course, the AF Corsa cars with Pierre Guidi, Collado, Regan, Bird, uh, Sarah as well. I mean, my goodness. Uh, The four Fords, 66, 67, 68, and the nicest one, 66 with Stefan Mocha, Olivier Pla. Billy Johnson Jr. doing it for America. The 67 with Andy Prio, Harry Tinknell, and Jonathan Bomarito. The 68 with Joey Hand, Dirk Mueller, and Sebastian Bourdais. And the nice car with Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook, and the Iceman himself, Scott Ditson. Two active IndyCar drivers and past champions. And those One of them are... being defending champions. <laughs> yes. So And, uh... <laughs> So I this mean, is the last hurrah for Ford as a factory team. They came in uh, under a cloud of scrutiny. Will they come out with victory? With these driver lineups and that car and that team, very well possible. Of course, the 66 car doing it for uh, doing it for Chris Amon and Bruce McLaren with a throwback 66 livery. Number 67 doing it for A.J. Foyt and Dan Gurney. Number 68 doing it for itself because it's a throwback to the 2016 livery. (laughs) And the 69 car, nice. Nice. For some reason, doing it for the number one car from 66 of uh, Ken Miles and I believe Lloyd Ruby. Well, they're probably doing it for the, yeah, they're doing it for the movie. (laughs) They're doing it for the movie. They're doing it for the movie. Ford Ford versus Ferrari in theater soon. Or you can just watch the 2016 race. Get the same effect. Get the same effect. Um, the, the Porsche GT team, we want to save this for last for Hugh Cam. The 91 and 92 entered from Europe have the Porsche Chevron with gold foil, and the 93 and 94 entered from the States have the Brumos Racing throwback livery. The 91, Richard Leitz, Jan Maria Bruni, Fred Makowiecki. The 92, Michael Christensen, Kevin Esther, and Lawrence Vanthor. The 93, Patrick Pele, Earl Bamber, and Nicholas Tandy. The 94 is the kids' car, Sven Mueller, Matthew Jaminet, and Dennis Olsen. I mean... What is there to say about them that hasn't already been said? Porsche, with the early championship in the WEC, having been the defending 1-2 champions of this race last year with the two throwback cars, the Pig and the I-can't-believe-it's-not-Rothmans. Um, oh, the Brumos cars look resplendent in their livery. And, of course, this race will also determine who is the GTE Pro Champion between the 91 and 92, because the Porsches are that far ahead that it can only be one of those two. Um, and could we? And do we have confirmation that they took away the stupid maximum stint legs in GTE We Pro? do have confirmation of that. They're running fuel flow sensors. They're not actually oh. um, eliminated on fuel. They're not limited on fuel flow the way... The LMP1s and Formula One cars are. Those are just there as a we're just watching feature. Ah, ah, uh, uh, yes. So, so unlike last year, where even my Porsche loving ass was a little bit turned off by the fact that the 92 got an unassailable lead thanks to a mix of safety car rules and stint limits limiting strategy. We're not going to have that this year. Thank God. 
Alright. Now let's get an LMP one. Let's start with the oh. privateers first. There's, oh boy. Uh, there's two that stick out for the wrong reasons. The number four by Collas and so CLMP one oh one of to- of flying Tommy Dillman, Oliver Reb- Webb, and Paolo Roberti. And the number 10, Gulf Racing Dragon Speed, BR Engineering 01, of Henrik Hedman, the only amateur in the field, Ben Hanley of the IndyCar Series, and na 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 Ranger Vanderzand, Vanderzand, Ranger Vanderzand. <laughs> uh, is it a victory if Baikalva's finishes? Yes. Undoubtedly, yeah. yes. Is is Dragon Speed going to win Best in Show Award because their car looks nice? Unfortunately, yes, but unfortunately, now, now question for they're the leaving. Field. Question for the field. Oh, they're so the Dragon Speed BR one. Are would they be the best BR one in the in LMP one? Well, no, there's a couple who would uh, so. dispute that because SMP Racing have brought their two cars and made sure their banks aren't frozen. The number eleven of Vitaly Petrov, noted cool guy Mikhail Lotion, and not Jensen Button, it's Stoffel Vandor coming yeah. in to finish out the super season in the 11 with the 17 driven by Stefan Sarazan, uh, Igor Rudjev, and noted former Williams driver Sergei Sorotkin back in the seat he would have had uh, this time last year. And interesting to note, one of those S&P cars with Vandoorne at the wheel clocked 350 down the Molson Straits with chicanes. 350 clicks jesus which is undoubtedly fast so we know that these privateers are not lacking in top end speed Maybe there is something else. to say though What's unfortunately that? for both of these smp racing cars those three letters denoting their engine manufacturer should strike fear into every single member of those and who, teams and who might that be that would be noted mazda dpi engine suppliers aer advanced oh. engine research not advanced. Maybe engines need some more research. <laughs> but you know, very good. But you know, if anybody is going to stand up to to Toyota, you know, we need a leader. We need a rebel leader, and we need a rebel <laughs> leader that just decided to go full on art car days before the race. I wouldn't call it art so much as going full Splatoon and throwing paint at everything. With the uh, Splatoon 2 off-the-hook specials, Rebellion <laughs> Racing, their R- their Orica build R13s, number one, Neil Yanni, Andre Lauder, Bruno Senna, number three, Thomas Laurent and probably his last race with the team, Nathaniel Berthon, and America's Gustavo Menezes. You know, that number one car has perhaps the most stacked driver lineup in the field of... Future for Porsche FE driver, former overall winner Neil Gianni, Andre Lauder, who needs no introduction, and Bruno Senna, who, despite his iffy F1 years, has morphed into a fantastic LMP driver. Yeah, I was about to say, if this was a, uh, you know, if you swapped this lineup out with one of the Toyota lineups, I would notice no difference in the change of quality. Yeah. It's an incredible lineup, and it's a shame that, you know, unless both Toyotas hit trouble, they may not even have a sniff of the overall victory. Yep, and uh, speak of the devil, we might as well rip the bandage off. Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Pachito Lopez in the number seven. And your defending winners of this race, Sebastian Buemi, Kazuki Nakajima, 
and Fernando Alonso in the number eight, who need to finish sixth or better in the category uh, to to clinch the championship. I believe that's fifth or excuse me, it's fifth or better, I should say. Uh, no matter what the seven does, they need to win and have the number eight finish lower than sixth in class uh, to have any shot at winning the title. Yep. Unless they, unless 2017 happens and both cars strike significant mechanical failure, I don't see that happening. Um, and even if they do, they have so much pace on the rest of the field that they could probably recover. And not just that, but resources as well. If they didn't have the pace, Toyota can outspend, they can outdevelop teams that are basically fielding bloated up LMP2s. I mean, they can just they can outdevelop teams who are teams. literally not allowed to develop their cars as much as them. <laughs> Predictions for LMP2. We talked about a lot of drivers earlier on. Uh, who, which team looks the best? I'm liking the 37 Jackie Chan car. Oh man, I am too. Hanson, King, Taylor. That's an excellent lineup. Uh, if God, I, 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 I just. Want to back the Alpine? I I know the Alpine is gonna be fantastic, but I want to back the Alpine. Are you kidding me? It's an Orica. It has just <laughs> as much a shot as those other cars. I know. I I'm thinking that it will be an Orica that wins, but it's gonna be Davidson, Maldonado, and Gonzalez for Dragon Speed. Mm. And no, I'm not just saying that because Maldonado's in the car. Okay, I'm partially saying that because he's in the car. And also him and Anthony Davidson are good drivers. GT Pro, your picks. GT Pro. I gotta go with the 63 Corvette. In a move that should surprise zero people, I'm going to pick the 93 Porsche of Pile, Bamber, and Tandy. I'm surprised he didn't go for the Porsche clean sweep. Um... Man, for... Wait, I could? <laughs> you absolutely could, if you set your mind to it. Um, I'm thinking it'll be... It'll be one of the Fords on their way out, picking up the W, and I'm thinking it'll probably be the 67 of Prio, Tinknell, and Bomberito. And finally... Which Toyota wins LMP one? <laughs> Number eight. It's gonna be it's gonna be the Russian colored Toyota that wins. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh boy, King King is going out there putting twenty dollars on the five thousand one. No, no, no. He just put money on AER. You're canceled, <laughs> King. Miss me with that? No, I no. Think, I think it might happen. I, I'm I'm I I. It's a possibility. I'm obviously not the favorites. Low probable, low probability chance of this happening. But man, it would be exciting. Okay, show me your bet, your slip for this, as well as your bet on the Jamaica winning the Women's World Cup. <laughs> okay. What what bet can we force King to do alongside the Renault bet if uh, SMP wins? Oh. Uh. Oh, goodness. I don't even want to think about it. My sensible pick, Toyota finishes 1-2. The 7 wins the race. The 8 wins the championship. Uh, If any of the non-hybrids are going to win it, it's probably going to be the number 1, but they need a lot of help. 
a lot of help for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to the fuel flow changes, which um, I think were instituted for spa, the turbocharged cars now have a definite advantage over the naturally aspirated Gibsons. (sighs) But it's if they finish. Yeah. Uh, AER is always a big question mark with that. Gibson or not Um, so much. Gibson or on fire at the side of the road are your options. <laughs> Just ask Timo Bernhard. Oh, boy. I'm hoping it's going to be a good one. Uh, not to plug our competition or shows that I've been on before, but Radio Show Limited RS1 has the race audio form. You can pop that on, listen to a little bit. Have it on as good background listening, even if you're not actively listening to all of it in its entirety. Uh, those folks always put on a good show. Uh, we'll talk about the race uh, next week as we have digested it. Who knows? Maybe some crazy 2016 shit will happen. Who's to say? Oh, no. <laughs> Don't put uh, that evil on them, RJ. No. Oh, Jesus. I just remembered. I'm sorry, Kaz. I'm sorry, Kaz. Uh, next week, we also have MotoGP in Barcelona, Supercars at Hidden Valley, WRC in Italy, and Dre will be back. Hopefully having not had a stern word with uh, the FIA in France. Oh, man. Uh, and, of course, thank you, Cam, for, for filling in for us. It was, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, don't be a stranger around these parts. Because you um, paid $10 happy to be for Lances. If, uh, um, if you ever need a super sub again, eat your heart out, Sebastian Bourdais. I'd be more than happy to come <laughs> on. All right. King, have we missed any important news? Uh, nothing really important. Uh, Bilar have re- announced their their new 320 uh, F3-inspired car. They can't say it's a Formula 3 car. <laughs> but- it's a shame it isn't 100 higher. Yep, it's got the airbots on the left, and it'll be seen on a Euro Formula Open and or All Japan Formula 3 circuit near you next year. Yep. All right. Places you can find us one more time. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you wish to follow us personally, you can at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBCKLY917. And of course, your financial support at patreon.com uh, helps out a lot. For $5 a month, you get early access to all of our shows. For $10 a month, you get access to the Patreon section of our Discord server. Shoot us an invite if you want a link to it. And of course, everything Motorsport 101 can be found on motorsport101.com. All right. Thank you so much for listening in. For Andre Harrison, for Cam Blackley, for Ryan Eric King, I'm RJ O'Connell. Thanks so long, and we'll see you on the next episode. Later, y'all! Bye! Until next time.